We are live on Planetary Health First, Mars Next, and this is an awesome day. Today we have an amazing founder, Fahad Ron, and um, he's not just cool because he's wearing Adidas, which is super cool, old school, evergreen, no, no pun intended, but he has been working on healthcare for a while. He's a healthcare innovator and working on improving the care delivery and outcomes. He's currently the co-founder and CEO of Lumi Health where they improve the selection, dosage, and tritation for complex medication therapy, working with physicians and patients. So uh, prior to that, he was working at Geisinger Health System. So what a great place to learn how to make healthcare work. They really had uh, proven in so many areas, which I'm sure you could tell more about, Fahad. But go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about yourself before we do some deep diving. Hey, uh, Michael, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation and for making this happen. Um, yeah, a, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm, I'm based out of the Washington, D.C. area. I grew up in Northern Virginia uh, and really um, just kind of stumbled my way into healthcare. Uh, started off in uh, working in management consulting and operational consulting. And I would find this um, continuous problem around uh, medications with my father, which kind of sparked an interest in me in pursuing a path in healthcare, uh, which we'll probably get into in a, in a little bit as we go through this conversation. But, um, but yeah, uh, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be here and uh, had a circuitous career and now working on something that I think is, is, is actually pretty meaningful for, for both people that I care for as well as people um, that, need, that need care as well in, in this country. Yeah. So tell us about this curiosity with your dad and then kind of where it started and then how Lumi was realized. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. You know, growing up, um, I, you know, I saw my dad go through a number of different changes in his healthcare. Um, we have uh, hereditary cardiac disease, diabetes and hypertension on my dad's side of the family. I call it the South Asian trifecta. And a lot of people who are from the Indian subcontinent, from India, Pakistan, Kind of have that same um, hereditary profile. And so it's kind of morbid humor, but really I've lost um, uncles to cardiac disease, early onset, um, uh, heart failure, heart attacks. So when I saw my dad going through some of these things, he was not, he's like an atypical profile of an individual. The guy worked out like three to four times a week religiously for since I've been a kid, eats well, you know, properly, follows all of his physicians. Um, guidelines, takes his medications on time, like just very, very disciplined. But what I would see is that his mood or behavior would change or his energy levels would change over time. And I really didn't have an idea what was going on. I just thought he was getting older or there were things that were happening or maybe you know, something happened at work or, but what really was happening was that uh, behind the scenes, you know, when you, when, when you see these uh, commercials for pharmaceuticals and they have the 5 million different uh, side effects and potential issues that can happen, those things were happening to him in real time. And we were all experiencing it as a family. And it wasn't until I looked back at it and got some context that I was like, wow, he was just kind of going through this process, um, you know, without any real great guidance, even though clinically he had really good physicians. And, um, and, you know, thankfully he didn't have any adverse side effects, but there were a ton of times where there were things that probably could have been done better. And even recently, he's had some some experiences that could have been done better. Um, and so the problem that I saw both at a micro level is manifest across the healthcare system in the United States um, around how to select and 
dose medications for patients. Most patients who are getting older or have complex conditions, even when they're younger, are not on one single medication. They're on multiple different medications. There's multiple different interactions. I mean, think of this as like a mathematical problem. If you, if you have two medications versus three or four, the changes are, uh, the potential combinations are exponential, not multiplicative. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes very, very complex for a human to handle. So this is not a knock on physicians or clinicians, really. This is a fundamental problem in, um, in how we approach this today. And to be very candid with you, the way physicians usually approach this um, is just trying different medications out and then seeing how a patient reacts to it and then adjusting, you know, based on how that patient feedback comes, but it comes in drips and drabs over weeks, months, or years. And it's not done really in coordination across the different specialists of the different caretakers or clinicians that a patient may have. So that's a little peek into, mm -hmm. you know, my dad's experience and our own experience, because usually when patients are suffering or struggling, their family members and caregivers around them that are also um, you know, going through that journey with them. And, and, and I've experienced that, but I've also seen it at scale across the healthcare mm -hmm. systems and, and, um, you know, uh, scenarios and, and environments that I've worked in. So this is not just a problem that's totally only localized to my family. Yeah. Um, do you see when I'm thinking about what you're saying is so complicated are you using AI or ML machine learning to do all that analysis across the whole population of cardiovascular? To me, that sounds like an area where that could really help doctors. That's a great question because we have a lot of, and for, for the last like five, six, seven years, there's been a lot of buzz around how to apply artificial intelligence, various different forms of machine learning, AI, natural language processing into healthcare, right? And then where, where, where are those use cases really effective? And then how effective is that technology and how representative of it is it of a, of a human doing the same task or if, if it's even better? At a high level, what Lumi Health does is we work with um, the 99% of heart failure patients in America who are not on you know, the appropriate medication therapy. So there's about 7 million patients with heart failure uh, in the United States. And almost every one of them has a medication improvement opportunity um, based on what the existing research is on the appropriate therapies or guideline-based medications they should be on. So another way to say that is that there's very established research, but those research rules are not being followed at scale. And the challenge around that is because physicians just don't have the time, resources, bandwidth, or informational assets to do all of this in real time. So if you think of somebody that you might know, um, uh, uh, you know, an elder person, uh, a parent, a grandparent, a loved one, oftentimes what happens is one doctor is working on that patient. That patient may have multiple physicians. There might be on multiple medications and there's a lack of coordination. And there's also a lack of understanding about what's actually happening with that patient when they take the medication. Typically when somebody leaves the hospital or the clinic, the level of connectivity back to the practice or the health system is, is minimal at best. And oftentimes if something bad happens, the doctor doesn't know, or the patient has to call and say, hey, doc, you know, I'm not feeling good after taking this medication. So we're relying on patients to do a lot of self-diagnosis and self-discovery, which is just not ideal, especially in an aging population. What we do is we basically say, look, we can um, identify where the best medication improvement opportunities are for these patients that have heart failure. Um, they're often co-present co or comorbid diseases like 
high blood pressure, diabetes, chronic kidney disease. There's other behavioral health conditions that are co-present. So it becomes complicated. But the reality is the science of this is not complicated. So what we've been able to do is take the existing protocols and research. So at Lumi, we're not creating new guidelines or mm -hmm. new research yet. What we're doing is we're just applying the research that already is out there in a systematic, clinically defensible way that physicians can then react to in way shorter time than it takes right now. So what we do is we take decisions that often take months and boil them down to minutes. And the way we do that is because of the technologies that we're using, but also the clinical pathways that we have. Now, going back to your question about AI and ML, I think this is a great application for that because medication decisions are by definition algorithmic, human algorithms, right? We're looking at decision points, different pieces of information, and then making a, you know, a conclusion. And then we're trying medications out that, uh, seeing how a patient reacts to, to them. For example, high blood pressure, there's a number of different medication combinations for managing different types of high blood pressure, but two patients who might, who may present very similarly, maybe on two different medic medication therapies. And so a lot of, there, there's a component of doing this in a systematized way. And then there's a, a degree of customization. Right now, the systematized way doesn't exist. And that's what we're really building for. Artificial, you know, there's various parts of AI. We do use machine learning models and what we do in terms of predicting risk and, and then identifying improvement opportunities. But I'm very um, excited about what's happening in the Gen AI large language model space, because I think that that if we zoom out for medication therapy, um, I see a massive uh, impact in what's going to happen in clinical services uh, going forward. And we're already seeing stuff that are either administrative or clinical improvements that mm -hmm. these uh, large language models like ChatGPT or um, MedPalm from Google or others are able to do because they've been able to effectively hoover up all the known healthcare scientific knowledge and other research knowledge that's out there, right? So they, they, they know more than any one human would know and they can apply it faster. So I think there's a lot more exploration to do, but I, I do feel bullish about this, um, the use case in clinical applications um, for, for healthcare. And it seems like the, the threshold's really low, right? You go to a pharmacist today and you ask something about the medication and they, they might just, and I've experienced this at Rite Aid, they'll bring out the triplet or the map that looks like a map of paper, like, <laughs> and like, are you, you know, could we maybe use CHAP GPT model for a pharmacy for whatever, maybe? Yeah, I, I think there, there's there's a couple of different things. So one is, uh, just as a side, uh, this was about like 2014, I think I was at Hims and they had like a startup showcase. And in that startup showcase, they had this company that actually made videos of all those pamphlets that nobody reads about the med Like all the important stuff about the medication is in the pamphlets that nobody reads. Like all these side effects that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. all the contraindications, you know, People just take the high level, like, okay, I got to take it this many times a day. I got to take it with food, without food, you know, so on and so forth. But nobody reads through any of that because it's just, it's just torches. First of all, mm -hmm. I need a magnifying glass to read it. And mm -hmm. my eyesight is still relatively good. Um, the second thing is it's really difficult to take in all that information, understand what it means to you. So there's a company that would just take, had a studio and would do videos, like, and there'd be 30 <laughs> second to one minute videos. I thought it was an amazing concept. I actually don't know what happened to that company. I hope they were really successful because they were solving for that problem. But I think you hit on a really good point, which is some of what we do, but some of what we see happening in this space, which is, you know, 
medication therapy uh, is, a, is a massive part of healthcare. About one out of, depending on what data you look at, one out of five dollars is spent on medications or pharmaceuticals in this country, right? So when you talk about what is now, let's say, a, almost a four trillion dollar healthcare system, we spent a trillion dollars of that, right? That's like the economy of many countries, larger than the economy of most countries on earth, right? So we spent a lot on medications. And so we also have these specialists in medications called pharmacists, right? And unfortunately, what we've done with pharmacists uh, is we've just made them pill dispensers, right? They have a lot of clinical knowledge. They have a lot of knowledge about all the different protocols and contraindications, the new therapies, the combinations, because they live, eat, and breathe medications every single day, right? This is what they've been trained for. This is what they do. So at Lumi, we actually use clinically clinical, clinically oriented pharmacists. Um, you find these oftentimes in hospitals. Hospitals, most hospitals have an in uh, have a pharmacy inside the hospital itself because when you're in the hospital, you need medications, and those medications are not going to come from your Walgreens or CVS. You need you know different uh, different fluids and everything, and different meds. And there's an in-house pharmacist that dispenses that. So we use pharmacists in this clinical model in the in the hospital. And there is ample evidence to show that there's a, there's a, a clinical efficacy model um, of using them outside of the hospital too in care delivery. So I think to answer your question, there's a couple of things we can do. We can actually up-level pharmacists to be more involved in the delivery of care and give guidance on you know, these improvement opportunities, education for patients. And then we can also use um, generative AI and large language models that are trained to act like pharmacists. And I've heard of a couple of companies that are doing stuff like this, where they may be able to respond to you in a chat feature or some other way to help answer a lot of the questions that you might have had of your pharmacist who doesn't have time to answer those questions when you're there, or, or the questions you may not, not have thought of when you're in the Walgreens or CVS line for all of three minutes, right? And you're trying to get all your meds and you're trying to get out of there and you're not trying to hold up the line, right? Going to a pharmacy these days is not a fun experience in America. It's they're usually the pharmacists are unhappy, the pharmacies mm -hmm. are jam packed. So we've got to think of how to do some of this stuff asynchronously and deload them and then mm -hmm. get pharmacists to ideally work in a higher functioning way at, at the top of their license, uh, better than the way that the, we're, we're using them today. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like every year where you go is based on the way the plan works with the PVM. That's sort of annoying. It seems like every year when I find out, I go to the pharmacist and I'm like, wait a second, that cost me X and now it cost me four X. What's going on? We don't work with them anywhere. Anyone but CVS, you got to go to Walgreens. So, and now Rite Aid, I have to switch because I don't know if they're going to go out of business. So it's a mess. You're right. It, it is. And, uh, you know, it's an opportunity too. I think what's, mm -hmm. what you're seeing is the evolution of these pharmacies into um, healthcare. Uh, what's the right term? Like places to deliver healthcare, not just to dispense medication. So you've seen that with Wal uh, with Walgreens and Village MD and Summit, that, that um, combination, CVS and Oak Street, uh, even though CVS were probably the originators of the idea around having some primary care, like primary care with Minute Clinic inside the pharmacy. They're also an, owned by an insurance company, right? And then, so you have, and then you have Walmart, which is mm -hmm. uh, a pharmacy that also sells groceries and other non-perishable items. And now they're putting in primary care clinics. So I think what what is likely to happen as we evolve, because we have such a large retail pharmacy footprint in this, in this country, and and then you also have a movement of medications that are you know mail order these days, especially mm -hmm. for homebound populations. 
we have DoorDash delivering medications and Uber Health, I think, in certain markets doing last mile delivery. My dad got his medications from DoorDash uh, from oh, Wal cool. local Walgreens, and it's all covered by insurance. So I think that this is really an interesting phenomenon of what happens to these pharmacies that now evolve into delivering some type of care and how they fit into the care network. Um, uh, it's going to be very exciting. And, you know, there's some some buzz around Kroger as well, uh, doing, um, you know, kind of launching into the primary care space. So, you know, does that mean more grocery chains get into the business as well? It's going to be very interesting. You know, as you said that, I also thought that uh, I heard about um, it was CVS, right, that pulled out of uh, what's um, Target. Did they pull out their? their yeah, chain? yeah, I just saw the the headline, but that's that's what that's what I read in the headline. I haven't read the report, yeah. but that's uh, yeah. what was your read on it? Did you get a chance? No, to just that that they 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 shuttered it. I guess there's just it. I don't know. It just seems like um, there's so much opportunity, but I was just uh, surprised that a brand like Re like that would not work as a partnership. I'm, you know, Target is a really good customer, a loyal customer. I see that as a failure, and I bet you it's all it's all about money. I mean, I can only imagine it's like Comcast or whatever. They pull out the network deals. They just couldn't arrive at at a shared vision. I imagine, and maybe Re maybe Target is going to do something of theirs. I mean, that's the only thing I could say. If we got the customers, they're not going there for CVS Pharmacy. They're going there for Target. So maybe, hey, you heard it today, a buzz <laughs> through the waves, uh, tea leaf reading from, uh, you know, that Target might come out with their own solution. Why not? It, it would be interesting. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to dial in to, and understand what happened with that, um, what, why that relationship isn't working out. Uh, because I thought when I when I saw that, I was like, this is great. Like Target's outsourcing this to CVS, co-branding. You know, I, I, they get a lot of foot traffic, right? Their, their retail presence and their brand is amazing in this country, right? Target's got an amazing brand. And um, and I, yeah, I was a little surprised. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to understand. Maybe they have another, like, like you're saying, they might have another play in mind or maybe mm -hmm. there's a reconfiguration that might happen. But, um, but yeah, it's, it, th th this is, you know, if we forecast out into the future, you know, is is it, it is your pharmacy also going to become your primary care uh, mm -hmm. site or or a primary care site? Maybe not the, but you know, and where does this pull from? Does this pull from primary care um, that's already rolled up or health system owned or you know, um, kind of large practices, or does this pull from urgent cares, which are still popping up all over the place. I mean, here in Northern Virginia, you just, you can't go, you know, a couple of miles without bumping into an urgent care. And to me, urgent care, uh, speaks to, uh, capacity problems, right? Like availability and capacity. So a lot of people just treat urgent care as like quick primary care, right there. Uh, it is deloading the ER, but I think a lot of it is like, Oh, I, I you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm just going to go in and get a quick check done or, I need a shot of some sort. So I'm just going to go to the urgent care to do it because I can't get into my primary care doctor. So I think some of these evolutions do speak to capacity constraints that are out there. I saw your Costco Sesame. Thing. Yeah, I, 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 it, it would help if that. I could spell it out as I'm typing. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I need to wear, I'm I, uh, sight challenged. I'm not the best typist. But yeah, so Costco and Sesame Health. Tell me about that. I, they do, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I haven't dialed into it, but I think that um, it, 
my impression of Costco is they do a lot of analysis and they're very thoughtful and um, purposeful when they make a, when they do uh, go into these relationships. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it, it seems interesting. I don't know what the adoption yeah. rate, I, I have no data on it personally speaking. Um, and I haven't seen how it works. I think as a Costco member, I should probably try it out first and see, but I think virtual, virtual primary care on demand care, um, especially when it comes to getting answers and feedback. So when you think of like WebMD on steroids plus some light virtual consult, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a model that's being put out by a lot of insurance companies as a benefit, as a covered benefit. Um, and then also, you know, health tech companies that are kind of forming around this. I think that's a very interesting thing, especially for a segment of the population that doesn't want to go to, doesn't want to spend the time uh, to go to a site like a, a, a clinic or an urgent care that may not even have the clinical need um, for that. They may just need some answers and they may, to, may need a quick consult. And so I think this creates capacity, right? These sort mm -hmm. of relationships create lower cost alternatives for capacity which now can deload um, some of these other areas. The reasons why urgent cares came up, and I'm not an expert in urgent care, so mm -hmm. I may be wrong here, but ERs were just filling up, right? And mm -hmm. people saw an opportunity for like, well, there's a lot of stuff that's going to the ER, like a broken finger or, you know, maybe a sprained ankle that doesn't really need to go there, right? So mm -hmm. we can go and we can put that in, a, in another site and get paid a different type of um, reimbursement rate, way lower than ER, but higher than your traditional primary care E&Ms. And, uh, and it becomes like, a nice business, right? And so these urgent cares have come up and now they're filled. You go to a lot of urgent cares, you know, and many of them you have long wait times as well, depending on what time of day and what geography you're in. So I think this creates more capacity. Anything that creates more capacity, I think is a, is a spectacular thing in healthcare because it, it, we're actually hitting on a, on, a, on a bigger problem here, which is that we have a, a growing population that's aging with disproportionate amounts of needs. As you get older, the needs get way higher than when you're younger, right? The amount of touch points you need, the clinical progression of your disease, the complexity of your condition goes up way more than when you're even in your 40s, right? Typically for the same person if they're like in their 60s or 70s. But then we also have the largest population that's retiring, but it's the largest population that's retiring of physicians as well, right? And clinicians. Mm -hmm. So we have a supply demand inversion that's happening. So mm -hmm. what, what I mean by that is the supply of clinicians in America is not keeping pace with the, with the growing population and the growing needs of that population over time. So uh, you have to create capacity some way. And you're, you're gonna create that by these virtual channels. You, you, you could create that by clinical service efficacy by using different AI models or even non-AI based models that reduce administrative and clinical burden that get data quicker, that help, you know, yeah. that help identify problems earlier. So all these things help, I think, when you yeah. piece them together to account for the fact that there just aren't enough doctors and nurses and pharmacists and MAs that we're creating in this country. And we're just not able to like keep pace with the 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 the, the ridiculously large demand that's out there for, for these services. Yeah, I think it's a huge problem. But I loved how when I said something that was a problem, you said it's an opportunity with the pharmacy. And I think what you're speaking of is an, really an opportunity to redesign how we consume healthcare and, you know, some of the regulatory licensing, upskilling pharmacists, upskilling the nurse practitioners, the PAs, and then redesigning asynchronized care. I, I see it 
uh, really the way of the future. I mean, this whole primary care first, the, the doctor will see you, uh, but my gosh, don't schedule in six months because they don't have the template for that. And, uh, you know, so um, I, I really think Costco, I, I think they're on to something because there's very few organizations that have the loyalty. And uh, what's I found just in my little anecdotal experience and my own experience as a primary care user is they're so burdened, so inefficient. They if if they're trying to blow you out and make you never want to see them, they're they're they they're off the charts succeeding. I mean, every little thing. It's like the design, the experience, mm -hmm. and then not taking care of pharmacy and the labs. I mean, even if the lab is on the same building, it's not even connected. It doesn't even. I mean, it's just simple little things that. Um, like I, I would put a lot more faith on a Costco. And so I worry about primary care, but that's the opportunity for these organizations. And then uh, partner channels like you and coming back to your company, that was a long mouthful. But uh, we said earlier, you stated out earlier that we have a, a one you know, four trillion dollar spend in healthcare annually and that 20 percent is that one trillion. Uh, in pharmacy and medications. So I would imagine your company has a total mark, a total addressable market, what, of 300 billion at least? I mean, <laughs> what is your total addressable market for going after cardiovascular? That's a great question. Um, we think about TAM in a few different ways. So mm -hmm. as a category, uh, cardiac diseases is roughly about 250 billion to $300 billion in spend as a category. Um, where we sit is, although we're cardiac focused, we're not cardiac only. So when we get, uh, when a patient enrolls into our program, so our customers are health systems, cardiology groups that are owned or affiliated with health systems, which is where the vast majority of cardiologists in this country reside. You know, independent cardiology is uh, is 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 a category that's not very large because of acquisitions and retirements and a lot of things that have happened over the last couple of decades. So when we target these cardiology groups, our value proposition to them is, look, there's a bunch of patients that you have that you're actually not able to engage with on a consistent basis. You know you want to care for those patients. You just don't have a, a financially feasible way to do it and a, and a services model to actually or technical model to actually do that. So we work with the health systems and the cardiology groups. We go and outreach to the patients on their behalf. We identify then the patients that are optimized for enrollment in our program, which is Medicare patients, both MA as well as fee-for-service, that have at least a diagnosis of heart failure of certain categories, and there's multiple stages of heart failure. So we're typically taking the where the plurality of patients are, which is not super early stage and not super late stage. And what why we do that is because those are the patients that actually can benefit from medication mm -hmm. therapy. If you're early, really early stage, then yeah, you're, you're going to be on some medications, but it's going to be a lot of lifestyle and diet modification. If you're very, very late stage, then you're probably moving into uh, some sort of ventricular assist device or uh, you're on a transplant list. And so the efficacy of the medications mm -hmm. is uh, you've already peaked. Mm -hmm. So, but this, this spectrum is where the vast majority of patients reside. And then what we do is we engage those patients through our pharmacist led services model. And in the back end, what we're doing is we're, we're, pulling all their data from the EMR, from, from the, from the uh, client sites, and then identifying where the medication improvement opportunities are in each patient. So 
anytime a patient comes onto a Lumi um, experience, 76% of the time, we actually find that they have a medication problem that mm -hmm. is already latent, uh, improvement opportunity issue or a medication that might be missing, inappropriate dose or two medications that shouldn't be in combination together. Mm -hmm. We then implement that, we get the, we identify that for the doctor, we clinically validate it, identify for the doctor, put in the EMR, and then the physician can now respond to that, typically on an average of, you know, it takes them a few minutes to make an evaluation and a, and a new determination, and then we implement a new therapy. So from start to finish, uh, it takes us about 4.3 days from the time we identify a medication problem to the time we've gotten a new medication adjustment or therapy implemented. Now that may sound long, but that's way, mm. way faster than the way it's done today. Usually, usually it doesn't get resolved. Yeah. And if it does, it might take weeks or months of phone tag and trying mm -hmm. to figure out what's going on. Now, so when we think about TAM, this, um, this problem is actually pervasive across other conditions. So we're trying to really identify what the TAM is. If we look mm -hmm. at this from a medication management perspective, the way we monetize this is through Medicare codes around care management, around remote monitoring, some other Medicare codes as well. And so we're, you know, across that code base, there's about uh, over a hundred to $200 billion of those codes available every year. So mm -hmm. it is a very large category. Everything in healthcare is distorted. So I think TAM almost mm -hmm. becomes arbitrary, yeah. frankly, right? So I, yeah. I really don't dwell on TAM that much. We just know that there's a lot, there's millions of heart failure patients. There's tens of millions of patients that have high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, there's large categories of patients that have chronic kidney disease, which are very high spend. We would be applicable in any of these cases and other cases. So diabetes and kidney disease could be definitely benefiting. I mean, it seems like your market is even bigger. And we, you know, uh, it seems like exactly what you're doing is for those chronic disease patients that really need to be on the right medication. So every day you're growing. And the and, and the opportunity that the, the 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 actual end user that could really benefit is you know you're getting ten thousand almost I mean a day new potential customers if you would patients right I mean it's that could use your services without a doubt I mean this yeah. is such a large problem mm -hmm. and it's um it's something where the patients actually tell us you know if I have conversations just you know. A, you know, my post office just went there, was talking to the, to the, to the gentleman that works there. And he's, he's a uh, Medicare eligible, he's working. So he's, you know, he's working for the postal service. And I'm just telling him like what we do. And he's like, I need, I need you. I mm -hmm. like, I actually, here's my doctor's number, yeah. call him and get me on your program. And I find this over and over again. And I think the, the issue really is even above yeah. medications is that I think these patients are just, you know, walking around with a ton of uncertainty, yeah. a ton of anxiety. They're not getting the level of interaction that they may want from their doctors. And so uh, a lot of them just remind me of my dad, right? Like, yeah, and they're really leaning into their health, but they still need somebody like a healthcare advocate or a Sherpa or somebody that's kind of guiding them yeah. through giving them assurances, looking out for them on behalf of their doctor. We don't see yeah. ourselves as replacing the physician at all. We just think yeah. that that relationship is so critical that there's support and intermediary components that can be built that really engage patients that really treat them in a human centered mm -hmm. way that then, you know, they can build a relationship with and feel comfort that, Hey, there's somebody looking out. My doctor is looking out for me by using yeah. Lumi to engage me. And that, and that's sort of the sentiment that we drive. And so we do, we, you know, 
yes, it is unfortunately a growing problem. Yeah, uh, I, I, I totally get what you're doing. And I get it uh, from a son as a caregiver, not a, like uh, my mom's 85, my dad's 91. So he's not a candidate. He's on hospice. So that was the best thing we did for him. He was in the hospital two times within 12 days. Thank goodness we found the right person, the you know palliative care specialist that gave us all the right decisions so we could make that. My mom, on the other hand, is 85. She, she has a great doctor, but there's all those what ifs. I, I could see a solution for you really helping her with her medications. Why do I do this? What could I do? I mean, it's just mm -hmm. unending. And you guys, I'm sure, have it plug and play. You've done that. You have the care managers, the care coaches, the pharmacists, the way it's set up. Uh, so I totally get it because I have to, you know, you know, with even just every year with enrollment questions like the insurance i'm sure you get you probably have a little expertise <laughs> on that as well so oh, yeah anyway i i think this is awesome i love what you're doing you're super smart you're 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 um i wish you the best of success i really thank you for coming on today no michael i i appreciate being here and i'd love to chat with you um just offline about anything that we can do to help your mom. And th these are the stories that really keep us going, right? Building a startup is not easy. Building it from the ground up is, is probably the most difficult thing I've ever done professionally. One of the most difficult things I've done in my life because it's a lot of me baked into the company. And, but hearing that there are people out there that, that would value what we do and it could help them because they're struggling. And if we can do a little, you know, a little bit of, of our piece in making life better for them or helping improve their care, then, then we're more than happy to do it. So thanks for the opportunity. And, and I really appreciate the questions and, you know, uh, thanks for, for allowing me to share my story and, and what we're doing and, and, uh, and hopefully, you know, this, uh, this, this reaches a bunch of people and gets them thinking about this. Yeah, no, this is awesome having you on. So glad you, you said yes. Uh, what is the best way for people to, to connect with you? What would be your ask? You know, tell tell me what 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 would be the best way for people to find you? Anything you want to say? Last uh, finishing notes. Yeah, um, a couple of things. One is I'm a believer that healthcare is just a team sport. There's it's a you know when we're dealing with healthcare, I've worked in other industries. It's not like any other industry. I'll just be honest, you know, it's a very different industry because people's lives, emotions, expectations, you know, their hopes, everything is baked into when somebody goes to receive care, it could be the, the, the most prominent surgeon in the world. When they're a patient, they are in a totally different place than when they're actually doing their surgeries, right? So we all have this human side to us and we have this vulnerability. So I think that as builders in the space, I really think a lot about humility in terms of you know, although we're trying to identify problems and we are trying to make things better, that just because something isn't working doesn't mean that people are horrendous at what they're doing or they're bad actors. It just could be the thing may not be, it could be a timing thing. It could be the elements are not in place to build the right thing. And then when those things come together, somebody needs to pull it together. So I think having compassion for one another in the space is very important. Being collaborative is very important because I don't think there's any one company that's figured everything out in healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's just too big, it's too large, and too complicated. And uh, if folks want to chat with me about anything, I'm always happy to talk about 
not only what we're building, but if they want, you know, any feedback on what they're building or what they're doing, or they want to enter the space and they want to understand, you know, how to get into the healthcare innovation space or what's happening. Uh, the best way to reach me is you can just drop me an email, Fahad, F-A-H-A-D, at lumi.health. Our website is www.lumi.health. And I'm also on Facebook, uh, sorry, on uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can look me up there. And uh, But I'm happy to, you know, uh, to serve as uh, a resource and to even bounce ideas off of, because it's going to take us all kind of doing all of our pieces and then doing them together to, to actually make a dent in the problems that we're all trying to solve. Absolutely. Well, this has been great. Great to have you on. And until next time, everyone, uh, make it a great day. Peace with you from Planetary 